listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. This is a very important, essential, vital broadcast tonight. We're talking about having power over the spirit of Antichrist and those agendas that are at work in the earth today. And they are at work, by the way. They are at work. I want to show you some things tonight. And uh, as I told you, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't want these spirit of faith broadcasts by any means to, uh, I'm not, I'm not using them for informative purposes. I felt a very specific instruction from the Holy Spirit about what I was supposed to do on these broadcasts, and that's to just come on each night and pump you full of faith. That's the goal. That's the purpose that the Lord asked me to get on to do this. But uh, I'm not. I'm not on to necessarily, you know, give you updates on what's happening around the world and things like that. Um, I do want to show you something though today because it pertains to what I'm going to teach tonight uh, with a spirit of faith. But as you know. More, the more that's going on around the world, the closer we get to the return of Jesus. And by the way, you need to share this one because this is pertinent to right this very second, what we're dealing with tonight, this very second in time. And people need to hear this because uh, there's mama from New York. Love you. One of the things I hear people saying, be very careful about saying this. One of the things I hear people saying when you start to talk about what's going on around the world and how it's advancing us toward a one world system or Bible prophecy, really. People get all you know bent out of shape, say, well, you guys are just a bunch of conspiracy theorists. And I'm sure many of you may have heard that said uh, as you talk about some of these things regarding Bible prophecy in the end times. Well, you're just a bunch of conspiracy theorists. But listen to me, if you are a Christian and if you read the Bible and believe it, you should never call conspiracy theory what the Bible calls prophecy. You should never call conspiracy theory what the Bible calls prophecy. Because we understand that not only is the Bible true, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Did you know that at the time the Bible was written, it was over one-third prophecy at the time of writing? And do you know that in the day and age we're living in 2020, over 80% of those prophecies have literally come to pass, not figuratively, literally come to pass, with the remaining 20% about to come to pass. And so the Bible has never been proven false. It's a book of prophecy, and the prophecies have come to pass. It's one of the things that defines it as a divine document, is that it has the ability to predict the future with complete and total accuracy. So much so that in that in generations past, many people thought that the Bible had to have been written after the events that it prophesied because it prophesied them so specifically. And it's a book that is divine with the ability to predict the future. And so many people think, well, that's just a conspiracy theory. You got a bunch of people in, the, in a room, you know, that are sitting around with tinfoil on their heads, you know, people think you're nut job for believing like that. But let me tell you something. If the Bible prophesies it, you should never call it conspiracy theory. You know that it's coming and you know that it's going to come to pass because God said it out of his own mouth. And if he did, that means it's going to come to pass. Hey, Nathan, good to see you. And so I want you to hear this tonight. The things that are happening around the world and have been happening around the world for the last few decades have been things pushing us closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ. And uh, one of the things that's happening now, and of course, there's always been an anti-Christ desire for a one-world government, a global control. No question about that. And the Bible teaches that that is what's going to take place under the Antichrist's rule. We know that one world government, one world religion, one world money system is going to take place under Antichrist rule. And uh, as I was on today, and as I, as I said, I, that's not what I want this, I, I don't necessarily want to do any kind of news or informative stuff, but I did want to show you this because it's, it's happening right now and it pertains to what we're going to talk about. My uncle Tiff 
posted a tweet uh, today, and this is what it said. And this is a this is an actual uh, announcement that was done. Uh, even I think the PM, yeah, as a UK leader, prophecy update, world leaders meet to create a temporary, quote unquote, form of global government to fight coronavirus outbreak. They want to give the World Health Organization and the United Nations executive powers that would supersede national sovereignty. The UK leader said we need a coordinated global response. And so uh, whether or not you could sit around and say, well, that sounds like conspiracy theory to me. This is just the precursor moving us toward Bible prophecy, which is one world government, which will take place during the tribulation, which we are not in, by the way. For those of you that thought maybe we're already there, we're not in the tribulation yet. But I want you to see that these things that are happening around the world right now, the desire for one world government, one world global control, that is not conspiracy theory. That is Bible prophecy that will come to pass. So when you see things that are moving in that direction, when you see things that are being set up as as a framework to move us in that direction, for example, cashless society and all the things that we really have the ability to do now, and you saw, by the way, Korea, if you didn't see the announcement, uh, Korea actually uh, stopped taking cash as payment to not spread further the coronavirus. And so all payments would be digital or by card, uh, which is, by the way, so simple to do in this generation. It's not hard to do. Uh, to, to, you know, I go to, you can go to Starbucks, you can pay for your, you can pay for your latte with your watch. You can pay with your phone. You don't need cash, nor do you need a credit card. When you go to many of these places, you go to Walmart, you can use Walmart pay. You know, you can use, uh, uh, you know, Samsung pay, you know, what do they have? Google pay. There's all these different things that are available now, right on your phone or your watch. And so we really have the, uh, framework and the ability to have a cashless society already. It's already set up. It's not coming. It's here. If they wanted to remove cash, I mean, you know how few people really use and carry cash anymore? So few people. So don't look at these things and say conspiracy theory. Understand that they are Bible prophecy that are going to come to pass. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that there will be a control on who can buy and who can sell. And what they'll be able to do and what they won't be able to do that will be controlled by an antichrist government. We know that's coming to pass. And so we already have the framework set up now for the things that are going to come in the future. I'll give you some other statistics in case you don't know about stuff that will facilitate the end times. The Bible prophesies that when the antichrist is struck down and uh, supposedly Uh, assassinated, as it looks like in Bible prophecy, that halfway through the tribulation that he will be struck down by a wound to the head and assassinated. The Bible says that the whole world will, when when he is brought back to life or resurrected, the Bible says the whole world will see it and follow after the beast. The whole world will see it. You know, in in, uh, generations past, they used to teach, well, you know, that just means the world around the region where he is. And they were interpreting Bible prophecy by the technology of their day. Well, nobody can see an event happen all at one time around the world. That's not the case anymore. Literally, I'm on tonight on uh, Periscope, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. People are watching it here in the States, but we've got people that are watching it in other nations. We've got people that log on from the continent of Africa. We have people that log on from India. We've got people that log on uh, from... um, you know, Western Europe and Eastern Europe. We have people that are logging on from different places all over the world. We've got now part of uh, Miracle Word Kids. We've got families from Taiwan signing up. So understand, we have, through live streaming and satellite technology, we have the ability to facilitate literally what the Bible said would happen in the end times, that the whole world can see an event happen. In fact, they reported that when the last um, World Cup took place, One-third of the world watched it live, with the other two-thirds having the ability to watch it on archive. I can remember during the World Cup that we'd be driving to a meeting somewhere, uh, driving across the country, and I'd have my phone out, literally just like this, on the interstates of America, watching soccer matches 
that are happening way across the world, and I'm watching them live on my phone. There's never been a time like there is now. And there's never been any, the framework has never been set like it's set now uh, for these things to be set up and ready to go to facilitate Bible prophecy. And so one of the things I want you to see, and that's why I posted my uncle's tweet, and I know now many ministers are tweeting about it, but understand this, it's not conspiracy theory, it's Bible prophecy. We're moving toward what God said would come to pass. And so it's just the precursor. Jesus called this time that we're living in the beginning of sorrows. And by the way, if you think that we're living in the tribulation, we are not. Let me just tell you, we are not living in the tribulation. And tonight, I'm going to give you seven reasons. And this is what's going to build a spirit of faith in you. I'm going to give you seven reasons why we will be raptured before the tribulation begins. I'm going to give you seven Bible reasons why we will be raptured before the tribulation begins. And that's important to know because people are confused. Well, are we going to be here for that? You know, what will we do during that time? Are our families going to be safe? Is God going to leave us here? Wait. And so people worry and wonder about the tribulation and they worry and wonder about the rapture. But the rapture has not taken place yet. We wouldn't be here if it did. And uh, I'm going to explain that to you tonight. And it's important because we're anointed to uh, dominate over an antichrist system. We're anointed to dominate over an antichrist agenda. And that's the point of this broadcast tonight. We are called to dominate over an antichrist agenda and system. You're not to fall prey to it. You're not to be a, a, a victim of antichrist uh, activity on the earth. You've got dominion. You've got power. Everybody that serves the Lord, Deepa, Everybody that serves the Lord is in that covenant with God and has the ability to access those benefits that we're talking about tonight. One of those being a pre-tribulation rapture that we are going. Hey, Ulu, it's good to see you on tonight from Hawaii. Love you. Anita, good to see you. Coco, good to have you on. So to start, I want you to go to 1 John. Go with me to 1 John chapter 4. Listen to this. 1 John chapter 4, I love this. The Bible says, Beloved, this is verse 1, 1 John 4, 1, and I'm going to read through the through 4, 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know that the Spirit of God, uh, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not uh, confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So the spirit of Antichrist has been here for you know thousands of years. Listen to verse four. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Overcome who? The spirits of those that are part of the spirit of Antichrist. For he who is in you is greater than he that's in the world. He that is in you is greater than he that's in the world. So one of the things I want you to start out by seeing tonight is that you've got a power on the inside of you that is greater than the spirit that's against you that's already here in the world, the spirit of Antichrist, the Bible says. And so understand, one of the main things that you need to know as a Pentecostal believer, I preached on that this morning, one of the things you need to know as a Pentecostal believer is that you have dominion and a spirit of dominion that's on the inside of you. You're not a victim to any demon. You're not a victim to any wicked thing. You're not subservient to any evil spirit. The Antichrist himself does not have power over you. The devil himself, Satan, you've got more power in your little finger than he has in all of his being with all of his demons at his back. You have more power than the devil. You, are a, you have a spirit of dominion that's on the inside of it. It gives you dominion and control. And so I want you to understand that it's important to know that the, the spirit of Antichrist cannot fully take over the world until we are gone. Because as long as there's a praying, believing, Holy Ghost-filled church on the earth, how can a spirit of Antichrist become greater than the spirit of Christ that's in us? 
How can a spirit of antichrist become greater than the spirit of Christ that's on the inside of us? That's why I read you 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You need to know the greater one is on the inside of you. And uh, if you want to do more study on the end times, I suggest uh, that you grab a great book by Dr. Mark Hitchcock. It's a book called The End. Phenomenal book. It'll take you all the way through in uh, layman's terms, something you can easily understand. It's not written in a textbook format. It's something for the average Christian to read that will give you a full and exhaustive understanding of end times Bible prophecy. Once again, it's Dr. Mark Hitchcock, The End, and uh, it will bless you immensely. And so I want to show you a couple of things here because I want to show you these seven Bible reasons why we will not be here for the tribulation. Seven Bible reasons why we will not be here for the tribulation. We're believing in a pre-tribulation rapture. Where the that's the catching away of the church, where we're taken by Christ into heaven, and uh, and, and while the world remains. Number one, the first thing, and I, and I have seven. That's why I want to get started right in right in on it tonight. Number one, the first clue to the fact that we won't be here during the tribulation is the place of the church in the book of Revelation. So I'm not I'm not supposed to be here during the tribulation. Why? Number one, the place of the church in the book of Revelation. What do I mean by that? Listen to this. None of the key New Testament passages that deal with the tribulation mention the presence of the church. None of them. The primary section of the Bible that describes the tribulation is a period is Revelation chapter 4 through 19. In these chapters, there is a curious silence about the church. In Re- Listen to this. Now, this will blow your mind. In Revelation chapters 1 through 3, the church is specifically mentioned 19 times. 19 times from Revelation 1 to 3. Then there's an immediate disappearance of the church in the most uh, tumultuous time in history, the tribulation. Then the church is again mentioned in Revelation 22, 16. But between those two points, the church of Jesus Christ is strangely absent from the biblical account of the events on the earth. To me, this is Dr. Hitchcock writing, to me, this is strong evidence that the church will not be present on the earth during the time of the tribulation. That's number one. Think about this. If we are the apple of God's eye, if we are his greatest possession, if we are the body of Christ, literally, you've heard me teach on that, we're the body of Christ, then wouldn't you think that if there was tribulation and wicked things happening and death and destruction and and plague and famine, wouldn't you think that if all that stuff was happening, something in the Bible would give us direction as the church as to what we're supposed to do during that time? Wouldn't you think that maybe God would guide us and give us some kind of an instruction on where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do? At the very least, shouldn't there be places during the tribulation where we're being comforted and that we're being at least, that we're being at least uh, um, given peace and comfort during that time if there's trouble going on? but that's not the case. We're not mentioned at all. Nothing's written to us at all. It's just an absolute silence about the church during the time of the tribulation being referenced. That's the most clear place in all of the Bible where the tribulations talked about chapter four through chapter 19 of revelation. And we're not mentioned one time. So there's a silence. There's an absence of the church. That's number one, the place of the church in the book of Revelation. Number two, and this is a very important one here. Number two is the removal of the restrainer. Number one is the place of the church. Somebody please put these in the comments so people coming back through can reference these. Number one is the place of the church in Revelation. Number two is the removal of the restrainer. Let me read to you 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Hey, Ted and Ashley. 2 Thessalonians 2, 
verses 1 through 9. Listen to this. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them. Even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision uh, or a revelation or a letter supposedly from us. And don't be fooled by what they say. For that day will not come until there's a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction. He will exalt he will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he's God himself. Don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you? And you know what's holding him back. This is important. You know what's holding him back. For he can be revealed only when his time comes. For the lawlessness is already at work secretly and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. And then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, but the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. This man will come and do the, to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. Now catch this here. The second thing, the removal of the restrainer. The question is, what is the restrainer? What is the restrainer? There's been debate about this through the years. Let me give you three things about the restrainer that'll help us define what it is. Number one, it must have omnipotent power to hold back Satan. It must have that. According to scripture, that until it's removed, Satan and his power cannot be fully revealed. So number one, the restrainer must have omnipotent power to hold back Satan. Number two, it must be the, the restrainer must be movable. That was 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Number two, it must be removable, which the omnipresent Holy Spirit is not removable. He will also lead men to repentance during the tribulation. So you can't remove the Holy Spirit. So if people say, well, the, the restrainer is the Holy Spirit, it's not just the Holy Spirit. Because you can't remove the Holy Spirit from any place. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. And we know that people will still come to uh, the saving knowledge of Jesus during the tribulation. They still will. So I want you to understand, it's not the Holy Spirit alone that's removed. And then number three, the church and its mission of proclaiming the gospel is the primary instrument the Holy Spirit uses to restrain evil in this age. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt holds off decay and light holds back the darkness. So you add these things together and you realize the only other thing it could be is the remover, the removal of the Holy Spirit-filled church. The Holy Spirit-filled church. We are the agents of change holding back the darkness on the earth. But we must be removed. The Holy Spirit won't be removed. We will be removed so that the restrainer can then reveal can be removed and the and the man of lawlessness or the antichrist can reveal himself. And so number 1 we're not mentioned anywhere between chapters 4 through 19 and number 2 we would have to be the only thing that could be considered the restrainer that's holding back the spirit of antichrist. And so we must be fully removed from the earth before he can do what he's supposed to do. That's number 2. Number 3 is that we as the body of Christ have exemption from divine wrath, which is what the tribulation is. The tribulation is a time of divine wrath. It is God pouring out judgments from heaven. It has nothing to do, it's not about just evil men persecuting believers. That's not what it's about. It's about God pouring out wrath and judgment from heaven onto those who have rejected Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for their sins. That's what the tribulation's all about. Listen, we have exemption from divine wrath. Listen to Revelation 3, 10 and 11. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. That's Revelation 3, 10, and 11. I want you to look quickly with me at God's track record to remove his people out of a location before judgment comes. 
I said this the other day on the on the broadcast that the story of Noah and the sto- the story of Lot and his family those are types and shadows of the uh, of the rapture before the tribulation. It's just a type and a shadow. Let's look at God's track record. Number one, Noah and his family. God was getting ready to destroy the whole earth. He was getting ready to pour out his wrath on the entire earth. But he couldn't justly do it on Noah and his family because they were righteous. They were obeying God. They were in covenant with God. And the Bible says God looked at them and saw that they were upright people. So God cannot pour his wrath out on upright people. And so God could not have destroyed Noah and his family because they were in covenant with him and living righteously. So what did God do? He had the ark created by Noah and his family. Noah built the ark, which is a type of Jesus Christ. And when you come into Christ, you are protected from divine wrath. If you don't know that, if you've never heard that before, the ark, Noah's ark, is a type and a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. That when you come into Christ, you're protected from divine wrath. And that was God's track record. So when he was ready to destroy the earth, what did he do? Made a way of escape for his righteous people. Let's go on further. Number two, Lot and his family, who were living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God was ready to destroy those twin cities by fire. But what did he do? Before he could destroy the wickedness in those cities and wipe them out because of their uh, sin, he had righteous people living in there. He had Lot and his family that were in covenant with him through the covenant he made with Abraham. So he could not destroy those cities while Lot and his family were still in them. They were his people. And he had to remove them from those cities before he destroyed them. So what did he do? He sent two angels into Sodom and Gomorrah to go directly to Lot's house, directly to Lot's house, and told him, you must leave now. You must leave now. And it's interesting because Lot's family didn't even believe him, and they didn't want to comply. But when they didn't want to comply, guess what the Bible says that, that happened? The angels took hold of them and rushed them out of the city, grabbed them and rushed them out. That's a picture of the rapture if there ever was one grabbed the righteous people and rushed them out of the city that was about to be destroyed. And the Bible says that they were all completely clear of the city before any fire fell from heaven. That's a picture. It's God's track record of protecting his people from divine wrath. I want you to look with me at the parable Jesus told of the wheat and the tares. Go to Matthew chapter 13 and look at this with me. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. Listen to this parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Why does it have weeds? And he said, an enemy has done this. So the servant said, then do you want us to go and gather them? He said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Notice he won't destroy the weeds until the weed is gone. Do you see this? God's not willing to destroy the weeds until the wheat is gone. And he said, no, look at verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. So notice there will be a separation. The wheat will go into God's barn, which is heaven, and the weeds will be bundled together and put into a place of destruction, which is this place where we, which will receive the destruction of God. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation, there are bowl judgments and trumpet, trumpet judgments and things will be poured out on the earth. But notice all of the weeds will be bundled together here left to be judged. Where the, whereas the wheat, which is you and I, will be in the barn, which is, the, which is heaven. We will be with God. We'll not be here with the weeds as fire is falling. We'll not be here with the weeds as destruction is taking place. Why would the harvester, 
The Bible calls God the Lord of the harvest. Why would the harvester burn his own wheat? It doesn't even make sense. It's it. That's why I can't understand people that want to preach and teach that will be here through part of God's judgment or all of God's judgment. Why would any harvester in their right mind burn their own wheat? That's the whole point of this parable. No, no, no intelligent harvester that's worked and sown to have a harvest is going to burn their own harvest. That's a foolish thing to do. No, there'll be a separation first. There shall be a separation we will be separated from the weeds and placed in God's barn and the weeds will be bundled together and awaiting the wrath of God. And so I want you to see it. The, by the way, the entire tribulation, not just half of it, the entire tribulation is God's judgment of a sinful world. Even the beginning, seal judgments are opened by Jesus himself. Even in the beginning, not just the last half, even in the beginning, the seal judgments are opened by Christ. He's the one pouring out wrath. Well, let, let me just say, he's not going to pour it out on his own body. What do you think? He, he's, he, you think he's foolish? Do you think Jesus Christ is going to start pouring out wrath on his own body? Why would he do that? He already took wrath on your behalf. The cross was his wrath for you. And if you accept the wrath that God put on Christ on the cross, if you accept that by faith, you become the body of Christ. And your wrath has already been taken by Jesus. Your punishment has already been taken by, by Jesus. But for those who did not receive his sacrifice by faith, guess what? They still have punishment coming to them. And that's why they're left behind while the wheat is gathered to God's barn. And so number three, we have exemption from divine wrath. We have exemption from divine wrath. Number four, the, this, is, this is one that I want you to hear. Uh, it's, it's a little bit deeper, but I know you can understand it, but it's, it's a little bit deeper. It is the explanation of who the 24 elders are in heaven. Who are these 24 elders that the book of Revelation speaks about? Are they 24 literal people in heaven? Well, let's look into that and see who they are, the 24 elders. In Revelation, there are 12 references to a group of beings called the 24 elders. And I believe and we believe that these represent all of the redeemed. Everybody from every generation, they represent all of the redeemed. Here's why we believe that. Number one is the number, 24 elders. The 24 in the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament, numbered in the thousands, First Chronicles twenty-four. Since uh, the, or excuse me, the, Le the, the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament numbered in the thousands. So there were thousands of priests, is what I'm saying. You can look at that in First Chronicles twenty-four. There were thousands of priests in the Levitical tribe. Since all of the priests could not worship in the temple at the same time, the priesthood was divided into twenty-four groups. And a representative of each group served in the temple on a rotating basis. There were only ever 24 priests at the temple at all times, though they represented the larger group. Christians are called a holy priesthood, 1 Peter 2.5. I believe that the 24 elders of Revelation represent the larger group of priests, the whole church of Christ. Number two, this is a very telling clue right here. Number two, their position. They are seated on thrones, Revelation 3.21. Enthronement with Christ, the only beings in all of the Bible that are promised to have thrones with Christ are the believers. No angels are promised thrones. And of course, demons don't have thrones with Christ. And of course, Satan doesn't have a throne with Christ. And of course, sinners won't have thrones with Christ. The only people in the whole Bible promised to have a throne with Christ are New Testament church age believers. And so the 24 elders are seen sitting on thrones. Could only be us. Number three, watch this. They're, the, the 24 elders are pictured wearing crowns. 
The only, only church age believers are promised crowns given at the judgment seat of Christ, Revelation 2.10. So here, here are two pictures. The, the 24 elders are seated on thrones and they are wearing crowns. Number four, listen to this. The 24 elders are wearing white clothing that is the picture of the redeemed in the church age. Their garments are white. Their garments are white. Who's Jesus looking for? A glorious church without spot or, or wrinkle, having their garments washed. And the, the 24 elders are seen pictured wearing white garments. The redeemed of the church age. Number five, the praise that they're giving is very interesting. The praise that they're giving unto God. Because they're singing what the Bible calls the song of, of the redeemed. Only the church can sing the song the elders sing in Revelation 5, 9, and 10. Only in this age have people been saved from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Only in the church age. Only in the church age. So they're singing the praise of the redeemed. Number six, the distinction. This is very important. The elders are clearly distinguished from angels in Revelation 5.11. So the elders are not angels. Not to mention, we just pointed out to you that none of those things, uh, angels have none of those things. They don't have thrones. They don't have crowns. They can't sing the song of the redeemed. All of the things that we're seeing about the 24 elders are lining up with the church and the church alone. So notice this, that while the, revela the, while the, the tribulation is going on on the earth, the Bible tells us that the 24 elders are pictured in heaven during the time of judgment. And the only person or people group that the 24 elders could represent is the church themselves. That's the only thing it could be, is us. Do you realize that even the Old Testament saints have not been redeemed like we've been redeemed? They didn't have Christ as their redeemer. We do. That's why we can sing the song of the redeemed because we're the, we're the body of Christ. And so it couldn't be anybody else but the church. And that's an important point because the 24 elders are seen 12 times from Revelation 4 all the way through Revelation 19. They're seen through the whole tribulation period and they couldn't be anyone else except us. Let's move further. How many have I given you now? Four? Let me give you number five. Number five, P-R-E-T, yeah. Number five is the rapture of the church versus the return of Christ. It's important that we see the difference between these two events. The rapture of the church versus the return of Christ. They're two different events. Two different events. Let me give you uh, a couple of things that are different. In the rapture, Christ comes in the air. But in the second coming, Christ comes to the earth. He doesn't come to the earth in the rapture. He, we're caught up to meet him in the air. But on his second coming, when we all come back with him, he comes down and touches to, to the earth and stays here. In the rapture, Christ comes for his saints. In the return, he comes with his saints. In the rapture, he claims his bride. And in the return, he comes with his bride. Uh, in the rapture, or excuse me, the rapture is not in the Old Testament, but the second coming is predicted many times in the Old Testament. The rapture, there are no imminent signs, or there are no signs for the rapture. It's an imminent event. But for the second coming, there are many signs that precede it. Read Revelation 24, or Matthew 24. Many, many signs. Like if you hear a preacher say, for example, these are signs that the rapture is close. Well, there are no signs for the rapture. So you can't say, you can't say these are signs that the rapture is going to happen soon. No, there are no signs in the Bible for the rapture. It's, it's called the doctrine of imminency, the imminent return of Christ. We don't know when he's coming. He could come at any moment. He could come at any time. There are no signs. He said, I'll come like a thief in the night. A thief doesn't give you signs as to when he's coming. Doesn't leave a post-it note on your door and says, I'll be back tonight at 4 a.m. to take your flat screen. Thieves come when no one's expecting them. And Christ said that's how he will come for the church. He'll come like a thief in the night. 
which by the way was a video that scared the heck out of people when they were little, if you ever watched it. So there are no signs for the rapture, many signs for the second coming. The rapture involves believers only, but the second coming involves Israel and the Gentile nations. The rapture will occur in a moment, in the time that it takes to blink, but the second coming will be visible to the entire world. The rapture signals the beginning of the tribulation. The second coming signals the beginning of the millennium. The rapture, uh, in, in the rapture, Christ comes as the bright and morning star, but in the second coming, he comes as the son of righteousness. These all have scriptural backing for them. I'm just giving you a rundown. They're two separate events. So I want you to see that they're not the same event. They're two separated events. So it's important that we know that because those that are, yeah, Matthew, Matthew 24, by the way, is not, it's important, Sai, that you understand that Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 are not passages of scripture that are dealing with the rapture. Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 are both passages of scripture that deal with the second coming of Christ. They're not rapture scriptures. Revelation chapter three is not speaking about uh, church age believers. It's talking about tribulation saints, those that have converted during the tribulation, tribulation saints. It's not talking about church age believers that left in the rapture. That's five. Let me give you number six. Number six is imminence. Imminence. This is an important one. And I spoke about it a moment ago. This is why uh, it's so dangerous, this hyper grace teaching that's been going around now, that you can live any way you want. It doesn't matter because of, you know, the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a lie. You're to live as though Christ is coming tonight. You're to live as though he could come at any moment. The imminent return of Christ, it's imminent. And you've got to live like he's coming today. Plan like he's not coming, but live like he's coming now. Listen, the rapture, this is an important paragraph for you to understand, so let me read it slowly and let you let this sink into your spirit. The rapture is presented in the New Testament as an event that from man's viewpoint could occur at any moment. And believers are to be looking for it all the time. All the time. Let me give you a few of those references. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7. Listen to this. The Bible says, so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every Christian is supposed to be waiting for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 22, listen to this. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come, or come quickly. We're expecting him. Philippians chapter 3, let's go there. Listen to this. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. The Bible says in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to be, even to subject all things to himself. That's Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Listen to Philippians 4, 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. See how they were talking even back then? The Lord is at hand. I'm ready for him. I'm ready to see him now. Amen. Listen to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Listen to this. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. The wrath to come. We're delivered by Jesus from the wrath to come. Listen to Titus. This is an interesting passage here. Titus 2.13. Waiting for our blessed hope. It's called the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let me give you one, let me give you one more. Hebrews 9.28. Listen to this. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Eager, that's us. We're eagerly waiting for him. So listen, only the pre-tribulation position allows for an imminent, any moment, signless coming of Christ for his own people. Let me say that again in case you you missed this because this is so, so essential. Only the pre-tribulation position, not mid-tribulation, not post-tribulation, not pre-wrath position, only the pre-tribulation position allows for an imminent, any moment, signless coming of Christ. Because if the tribulation started and we started to see the things that are prophesied in Revelation, we would know these would be signs. And we say, oh, Jesus is going to actually come because here's the tribulation. So he's coming right around the corner. We know that we can actually count three and a half years and we'll be at the middle of it and then he'll come. Or we can count seven years and be at the end of it and then he'll come. No, it couldn't be signless then. It couldn't be any moment. It couldn't be imminent then. A signless, imminent, anytime coming can only be true with a pre-tribulation position on the rapture. Imminency, that's number six, imminency. The, the doctrine of imminency, he could come at any moment, like a thief in the night, and that's what we believe. And then finally, number seven, to, to stir your faith up, the, the, the actual rapture of the church is called the blessed hope. The blessed hope, that's an important point right there. Listen to this. The truth of the rapture is intended to be a comfort and a blessing to the Lord's people. It is our blessed hope. Titus 2.13, it is our blessed hope. In first, Th- Listen to this. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, after describing the rapture, Paul concludes with this command. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now think about that for a moment. If Paul had been teaching a mid-trib, pre-wrath, or post-tribulation rapture position to the church, would the truth of the rapture really be comforting to anybody? If I know that I have to sit here through half of the tribulation, is that comforting to me? To know that I'm I'm about to endure three and a half years of God pouring out his wrath upon the earth. Is that comforting? Is that a message that we can share with other believers and say, hey, be comforted by this. We're going to go through three and a half years of the worst days you've ever seen on the earth as God pours out his wrath. Just be comforted by that. Or to go on and say, if you hold a post-tribulation position, hey, guess what, guys? Get excited. Get ready to dance. We're going to get seven full years of God's wrath poured out on us as we're here on the earth during the full period of the tribulation. That's not comforting. That's not a blessed hope. What hope do I have? What hope do I have if that's the truth? What comfort is that? If I'm supposed to comfort one another with these words, what comfort do I have if that's the truth? The the pre-tribulation position is the only one that gives us a hope. It's the only one that gives us comfort knowing what's to come. It's the only one. Many people could read through the book of Revelation and become very nervous about what's going to take place on the earth. But the blessed hope, the only thing that gives us hope, the only thing that gives us faith, the only thing that stirs us up and gets us excited about the future is knowing that Christ is coming soon and he will remove his people from the earth. He will take his wheat into the barn before the weeds are burned. Why am I sharing these things with you? Because as you see all these things taking place around the world, as you see earthquakes in places that have never had earthquakes, as you see famine and pestilence, and as you see plague, and as you see terrorist attack and violence increase, as the Bible said it would, you see all of these things, I want you to understand we're not in the tribulation. We have a spirit of faith. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world, that we will be gone before this judgment 
judgment of God is poured out upon the earth. I was saying the other day, I heard a nationally, internationally known minister preaching from his pulpit. Someone asked him, do you think that God is trying to wake us up by sending the coronavirus? He said, I'm very careful to say what God is and isn't doing, but let me, and then he went on to, to basically say that if God is, you know, maybe God is using it. I mean, if God is, he is waking us up. I mean, like to have that low of a view of God, to have that low of a view of God's power and his nature and his character, that he would send plagues and that he would send sicknesses and diseases onto his own children. I mean, it's because it's not just sinners that have caught the coronavirus. There's Christians that have caught it. We've prayed for some of them on this broadcast and asked God. We've had testimonies of some that have been already miraculously healed with double pneumonia. You saw Clay get on the other night and give his testimony. Not only did I have coronavirus, I had double pneumonia. I was in the hospital and Christ walked in the room and told me that I was healed and my lungs completely were healed. I'm back home completely healed by the power of God. So it's not just sinners that have caught the virus. Christians have had it. So are you telling me that the God we serve, the quote unquote loving heavenly father, is sending plagues? and viruses and bacteria to his children whom he loves and gave his only son for that we've now been brought into. Think about this, if you will. Imagine if you will. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> Twilight Zone. Imagine if you will. Think of the fact. We've been added to the body of Christ. We are his body. The Bible's plain about that each one of us a member in particular. So that means that if God is truly sending the coronavirus from heaven to quote unquote wake us up, then what he's actually doing is putting sicknesses and diseases into Christ's body. Think about the division of this in heaven, that God is taking sicknesses and diseases and injecting them into Christ's body to, to wake us up because we are Christ's body. Do you think God is so evil and foolish that he's going to take things that he redeemed you from through the blood of Jesus, through nailing him to the cross, piercing him in the side, whipping his back, crown of thorns pulled down over his head. You think God is going to then, after all of that punishment that he poured out upon Christ so you could be free and I could be free, that he's going to then take sicknesses and diseases and inject them back into Christ's resurrected body again. I tell you, that's the most foolish thing you could believe. And people need to get their act together and recognize what they actually think about God. And you need to get in line. But you, know, you know what he said? He said this, I don't know. I don't know what God's doing, but I can tell you this. Okay, first of all, find out what God's doing. As a preacher, as an internationally known preacher, let me give you a tip. Find out what God's doing. If you don't know what he's doing, find out. Clear up your doctrine and understand the character and nature of God in heaven and what he does and what he doesn't do. I would say that it's pretty important for a minister of the gospel to know the basic character and nature of God that they serve and have given their whole life to. If you can't even describe the character and nature of God to believers, what are you doing? The Bible, it's not like it's hidden from us. The Bible clearly lays it out. You can read, oh, Carolyn, please. We live in uncertain times, hallelujah. How many know it? We aren't promised tomorrow. The only way I would ever say that we're not promised tomorrow is what I taught tonight. Christ may come tonight. Not because I may die in the night, or I may catch some, I may not wake up. I may be dead when I wake up. That's not, that's not my confession. Devil can't kill me. I'm uncursable. I'm unkillable. You can't put a disease on me and kill me. There's nobody breaking into my house tonight and slitting my throat. There ain't nobody shooting me or shooting my family. You can't take me out. I'm divinely protected by God. The only way I would ever say we don't know tomorrow, we don't have, we're not promised tomorrow, is that Christ could come tonight. That's the only way I'd say that. But people get up and talk about, you never know what may happen to your family tomorrow. Ridiculous. I know because I speak it by the power of God's word and believe it in my heart. And you can have what you say. You can have what you say. I'm teaching tonight on that spirit of faith session. 
to build your faith. Because I know there's a lot going around. We might be in the middle of the tribulation. You know, maybe the tribulation's already begun. It hasn't begun. It hasn't begun. I said it hasn't begun. If you want to know whether or not the rapture has already happened and the tribulation is already in motion, just tune in on YouTube, Periscope, or Facebook at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, any Monday through Friday, or during this time, 7 p.m. Eastern every night. And if I'm on here teaching, then the rapture hasn't happened and the tribulation has not begun. If I'm here talking to you, then guess what? Jesus hasn't come because I ain't getting left behind. <laughs> I made up in my mind a long time ago. I ain't getting left behind. And neither are you in Jesus' name. And neither is your family in Jesus' name. We'll be ready to see him when he comes. I want to be ready. You want to be ready to see him when he comes. Maybe you're watching this broadcast right now or you're listening on the podcast. Somebody forwarded this to you and you don't know if you'd be ready to see Jesus. You look over your life and realize that there are things in your life that are sinful, that are wrong, that are holding you back from serving the Lord. Let me say this. At the end of this broadcast right now, I am going to pray for you and lead you in a prayer. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you don't know that you're ready to see Christ when he comes, if he did come tonight, you're not sure that you could look him in the eye and call him Lord and Savior. He may come as a judge to you. Don't let this night pass by without knowing that you're ready to see Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord when he comes. I want you to bow your head wherever you're watching or listening from. And I want if, if that is you and you, you want to pray that prayer, I want you to repeat this out loud with me. Say it boldly, knowing all things are turning in your favor tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for sending your son to die for me. I ask you tonight to forgive me of my sin. I repent and I turn from my sin. I ask you, from this night forward, make me new, make me clean. I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess with my mouth that he is Lord. And now, because of my faith in what Christ has done, I am a new creation. Old things are passed away, and it's a new life that's begun. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the power to live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Listen to me. Very important next step. If you just prayed that prayer live here on the broadcast, maybe you're watching the replay, maybe you're listening to the podcast, do me a big favor. Go to my website, miracleword.com. There is a button right there on the website that says, I just got saved. I want you to click it. And when you click it, there are things that I want to give you for free. If you don't have a Bible, we want to send you a Bible. We want to give you other resources for free that will help you take next steps in your life with Christ and be strengthened and discipled and to build up your knowledge of the word and your faith in God. I want to be here to help you grow in Christ. So do me a favor. If you just prayed that prayer, go to the website, miracleword.com and click, I just got saved and follow the instructions. I have a short video there for you to watch. And then we want to send you some things to be a blessing to you. I love you. Thank you, John. Love you guys. Listen, if you're believing God for the best days you've ever had, let me encourage you right now to sow a seed into the kingdom of God. If this is blessing you, I mean, if your spirit is being built up in faith every single night and all these throughout all these sessions, I want to encourage you to sow a seed by faith and declare this. I'll not go backwards during this time. I will increase during this time in Jesus' name. My finances will be blessed. My children will be blessed. What I put my hand to will be blessed. I refuse to go backwards. I'm moving forward. And one of the things that propels you forward is a seed, a financial seed that you sow into the kingdom. What does it do? It opens the windows of heaven over your house and over your life. And God begins to pour out blessing on you and to you. And it's important that you take a step of faith and do it because when we step out in faith and sow, it's a proof. It's the only proof that we believe that what he said is true. Thank you, Karen, for sowing on PayPal. I appreciate that. Those of you that are sowing, as you see, Karen said she sowed on PayPal. You can go to miracleword.com 
And so, see, they're a partner with us there. Uh, of course, PayPal, the information's on the screen. Cash App is available, and it's on the screen as well. Venmo is also available. Same username as Cash App, MWGive. And then, of course, if you're on Facebook, Periscope, or Twitter, you can always type hashtag donate into the comments section and uh, and so right from the comments. Very easy to do. Thank you, John. Appreciate you sowing that seed. We love you and appreciate you. Can I also say that uh, I was listening to that. I, uh, Tiffany found that song. I was playing that clip from earlier today from Rod Parsley's church, and they were singing, you shall have the power. We found it. She found it. It's actually by Eddie James called Power. I thank God for Eddie James because he's been putting out consistent Holy Ghost music for the last decade to bless us with Holy Ghost breakthrough music. Thank God for Eddie James and people like him that are still producing breakthrough Holy Ghost deliverance music. And I love it. That song has been my jam. I probably listened to it 30 times today on repeat. It's called Power by Eddie James. I love it. I absolutely love it. I think that's the exact title. Let me check real quick. I think it's called Power, but let me let me look. Yeah, Power. That's the one. The, the album is called Magnify. I believe it's called Magnify. Go listen to that if you haven't. Love you, Dad. Thank you. Go listen to that if you haven't done it. Because it is powerful. Powerful. You shall have the power. That's awesome, man. It's awesome. I love you guys. Thank you for sewing. Thank you for... Listen, if you have questions, that's why I encourage people. If you've got questions, obviously you can always put them in the comments as we're going through the broadcast, but you can also text me. Easy to do. You go to miracleword.com forward slash text. Fill out the form. Put your information right in my phone and we can stay in touch via text message. And I'd like you to do that because I like to pray for you by name. I like to know what I'm praying for. I like to stay in, in touch with you and give you updates about what's happening. Amen. I'm glad, Juan. Keep sharing it with your friends and family. Keep sharing it. God's going to bless them. Looking forward to seeing my dad in horse heads. Amen, Lynn I'm excited about the rapture. I'm very excited. Don't be afraid. Don't let a spirit of fear overtake you. Let a spirit of faith guide you. We're not, we're not going to be left behind. We're not going to be left unprotected. We are exempted from divine wrath in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I love you guys so much. Thank you for sowing. Thank you for giving. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing. I want to give you a little preview, if you've not seen it yet, of our brand new faith course that's available at MiracleWordU.com, our Miracle Word University. Mountain Moving Faith is available with new courses coming soon, and I'm excited about it. Here's a preview. I love you. I'll see you in the morning, 10.30 a.m. Have an awesome night and get some blessed rest. I didn't mean that to, to, to rhyme. I don't like it when people rhyme things. But do have Holy Ghost rest tonight and have the best night of your life. I love you guys, and I'll see you in the morning at 10.30. Later. So in this video, I want to quickly show you something that I was speaking about in a previous video, and that is when we were talking about the measure of faith, uh, one of the warnings that uh, I give you and that you find in the scripture is to not exceed your measure of faith. And there's a reason that we talk about this. It is I mentioned in the uh, previous video that it's damaging to you if you try to operate outside of your measure of faith in the same way that it would be, uh, I use the analogy of going to the gym. And if you tried to lay down on the bench press and put more weight on the bar than your body can handle, although you might be able to get to that weight one day, you're not there today. And so trying to operate in that level of strength when you're not there would end up being damaging to your body. If you didn't injure your uh, shoulders or strain your muscles lifting that weight, you would actually just drop the weight on yourself and maybe crush your chest. And so it's important to understand that you should never exceed your measure of faith. As we showed you in Romans chapter 12, the Bible says God has apportioned or dealt out to every man a measure of faith. 
And so it's important that you understand that you are currently at a certain level of faith. And uh, as we read that, uh, I'll read it to you from the NASB in this video, uh, Romans 12, 3. The Bible says, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. So there is a measure to your faith. It's at a certain level right now. You should never try to do things that are beyond that level. I'll give you an example of that in a bit, but let's look at 1 Corinthians 7, 17. 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Listen to this. Paul writes, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. You see that? Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. So don't walk outside of the manner in which God's called you and assigned you and purposed you. Let's go on. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Listen to this. But we will not boast beyond our measure. You see that? We'll not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere, which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. So understand what Paul's teaching here. We're not overextending our measure. We're not going beyond what we should be doing. We are operating within the sphere of our apportioned measure of faith. It's important to stay within your measure. Ephesians chapter four and verse seven, the Bible says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then finally, let me read to you first Peter chapter four and verse 11. The Bible says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God and whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So from these verses of scripture that I'm reading you, you can see and understand that there's a measure of faith in which, in which you're currently standing that God has blessed you with and that you've grown to that level that, as Paul taught, you should never try to operate outside of your measure of faith. And one of the ways to ensure that you never operate outside the measure of your faith, and this is so very important to listen and adhere to this thought, one of the best ways, and I'd say it's the best way to ensure you'll never operate outside your measure of faith to the harm of yourself, your family, your ministry, whatever, is to only ever do what God called you to do and only ever do what he is directing you to do. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.